Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man! And just like that, the Watching Comics Podcast is back, bringing you the most trusted and noteworthy opinions on the intersection of comic book entertainment hitting your big and small screens because in the 21st century watching comic books is literally a thing it's an exciting time to be alive my name is mitch my co-host is jake and we are here to come at you with the latest comic book movie dropped on netflix jake before anything else quarantine check-in how you holding up buddy uh, you know what? So much better since uh, Sandman posted on Audible. Oh my goodness. It, Have how, you how, listened at all? I haven't started yet, but I, I figured you probably had. How deep are you right now? Um, you know what? I'll pull my phone out and check, but I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm like three hours in out of 10 or 11. Oh my gosh. You're, you're, you're flying. Yeah. I'm, I'm just about three hours in out of 10 hours and 54 minutes. So um, I, I mean, I, I, most of my work is done in the evenings. Um, but once in a while I get lucky and I get grown up hours of the day. Oh, look at and, you. Yeah. And so today was a daytime where all the kids are in school. Things kind of run on autopilot unless there's a disaster. And so, uh, on a good day, I, I get a lot of time to just do paperwork while I listen to something. So I, I definitely chewed up a couple hours of it today. I'm, Mitch, I love it so much. Like, oh, that's it's amazing. amazing. I'm so stoked. And uh, we definitely need to do a whole episode on that thing once we both finally finish the, the Audible. Yeah. Okay. I, yep. Signed up. Done. Right. There it is. Log There's it. our teaser. Coming up in the not too distant future, we're going to come at you with our definitive <laughs> thoughts on the Sandman audiobook. Dun, dun, dun. Shocker. Jake still likes things he's liked for 25 years. Do you want to listen to it for an hour? Let's find out. <laughs> Shocker. Neil Gaiman still brilliant. No one is surprised. Right? <laughs> Best comic book ever makes great audible. Um, <laughs> Who knew? You know, I, okay, here's the other thing that just occurred to me. This is episode 101, right? We are so, officially 101 into the stratosphere of, I don't know, do we call this phase two of the WCP okay. extended universe? Okay, so that's what I was going to say is how comic booky do we want to get? Because we could around like episode 115 start with new numbering and call it all new watching comics podcast and then after 15 more episodes revert to legacy numbering and go to episode 131 just to really you know and just really throw people off so no one knows where to start we could that get might, real comic booky with it that might be a really good idea both for the immersive quality of really giving our listeners an experience but also a chance for us to throw out all of our really horrible ideas in those 15 <laughs> episodes because if we're really staying true to the brand then the new 52 stuff is just the junk that should have never been written, right? That's yeah, yeah, we just hit, the, yeah, that's exactly what we'll do. We'll hit the reboot button to draw in new listeners, and then we will completely revert to legacy stuff, hoping that the new listeners stick around with the old ones that we managed to not piss off, so... <laughs> Beautiful. And of course, we need someone, we need to pick someone to make an appearance during the outro section of all of our episodes to pop in and drop a couple of one-liners and tease some big team up that's happening at the very end as well. <laughs> this, is, this idea is going rapidly downhill quickly and it I really could not is. love it more. Okay, uh, so what are the chances either, what are the chances your son would maybe be willing to jump on and say, I'm recruiting a team? <laughs> at the end of an episode and then we could just leave it hanging there oh man 100 percent. that kid is up for anything 
I love it. Okay. So thank you listeners for jumping on board with the watching comics podcast. (laughs) This is episode 101 of the um, galactic installment of the WCP. And uh, we'll be coming at you soon with the new 52 installment. And it's a whole thing. We'll build an infographic and put it out on Twitter so you can follow along a whole lot easier and it'll be cool. But anyway, can I just say new 52 I'm, I'm all over the place already, but new 52 Batman was excellent. I got to put it out there. You've got the Snyder Capullo Batman era. Excellent. Superb. Some of the best Batman ever written. Most of the rest of the new 52, not for me. Okay. I'll be completely honest. I didn't dive very much into the Batman new 52, but I will say if we're, if we're, if we're looking for positives about the brief new 52 saga, I will say that the cover art for the action comics run in new 52 top notch. Absolutely top notch. <laughs> I love I love two things about that. I love that you're a good enough dude that you're looking for something positive in something you don't like. And I love that as great as cover art is, and I think we all agree good cover art is exquisite, everyone who's a true comic book reader here knows that when you just went, well, at least the cover art was good, we know what you're really saying about the inside <laughs> of it. I, <laughs> Okay, we're here to talk about other things. I'm sorry. I'm everywhere. No, we're good. We're here. We're doing this. Okay, so, uh, Jake, the old guard dropped on the Netflix. The old guard. The, the old guard is here. It dropped on Netflix over the weekend. It is here, starring none other than the quintessential Charlize Theron, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, and it is based on the graphic novel series by Greg Ruka. It has been uh, released by Netflix. It has either been the number one or number two rated viewing movie on the platform for almost an entire week now, sitting at a 6.7 out of 10, with over 45,000 stars clicked on IMDb. That's kind of what we're looking at here. We've had this movie in our lives for almost a week. We both watched it in preparation for this episode. Jake, give me a 30 second rundown, your takeaway from the old guard, good, bad, or meh. What, what are we looking at here? I think that, man, 30 seconds is tough for me on this one. Um, I think that I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. Um, I think that there was a lot of potential and that sadly, some of the things that didn't work super well for me felt very comic booky. And I hate saying that, but sometimes I think a one-to-one translation isn't best. And, um, it all I, I comes think down to tone and self-awareness on that point. There. Okay. There exactly is tone and self-awareness. I'm going to totally hijack that. And that's going to be my mantra for tonight because I think <laughs> that I'm probably over 30 seconds, but what most of the stuff that I think didn't work, it was comic book stuff that doesn't translate well. And it was a lack of self-awareness, but there's a lot that does work. So I, I, I don't want to be totally down on it. I, I want to talk about what worked about it too. So that's me. That's fair. So if you had to put like a single label on it, would you call it meh or slightly higher at the, you know, I will probably go Matt. It's not a thing that I'm going to run around recommending to everyone I know. Um, but it is a thing that if I'm in a conversation with someone and I hear their interest gearing that way, I'll, I'll throw them the old guard. Okay. Fair enough. The thing about this movie is 
when it when it hits its strong notes, it hits them incredibly well. Like there are some components of this movie that I think are just flat out fantastic. And we can get into those specifics later, but it, it's really interesting to see a movie, like you said, kind of struggle with that self-awareness and overall tone, but still absolutely knock it out of the park with a couple of segments in there that, you know, is still better than a lot of comic books, comic book movies can ask for, really, or claim. So it, it was a very interesting watch. But at the end of the day, filled with action, and you could clearly tell that they were trying to play the the deep emotional element as well to make it a little bit more appealing and gripping than just kind of as much paint by numbers. And, and for that effort, I appreciate it. But yeah, I, I'm really glad I saw it. I still think if I would have seen it in a movie theater and paid movie theater prices for it, I still would have been pleased with it as well, which is better than a good chunk of movies I see in any given year that's not rendered by a pandemic. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give that some good credit. And I mean, I don't know. Is Charlize Theron maybe the most versatile actress working in Hollywood right now? Quite possibly. Has she ever done anything bad? No, I don't think so. So there's something to be said about that. So maybe that's a good starting point for the old guard. Um, Jake, why don't we just break down here a few things we liked? Why don't you take two or three things and say, what did you like most about this movie? I'll share a couple too, and then we can pick some nits later on. I think one thing I really liked about it was the casting. Um, you've alluded to Charlize Theron and, you know, she elevates things. And I think that she Elevate. elevated There this. it is. She's working with her secret sauce, man. She's got the spices. She knows what it takes to make her signature dish. Yeah. I, I mean, I kept, I don't know if this worked in the old guard's favor or against it, that I kept... I kept coming back to um, to Mad Max Fury Road, and I kept comparing it to her portrayal of uh, Furiosa. And I don't know how fair that was of me, but for some reason that was really locked in my brain because I think that, and Fury Road is a, a phenomenal film. Masterpiece. Um, and I think that she she takes it from great movie to brilliant movie. She should have had an Oscar nomination. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that in the case of the old guard, she does something similar and she takes, you know, there, there's a few lines of dialogue that are pretty clunky that you see her really doing her best with. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. you, you know how I like to take notes when I watch a movie for this podcast. <laughs> yes. Here's what I literally, this is the second note I wrote about the movie. So this would have been in the first third of the film. It's a testament to Theron's incredible talent that she could be that gripping with such clunky dialogue. Thank you. That is, man. And again, you just, you said what I'm trying to say, but so much more succinctly and well put. Uh, yeah. I mean, play dead, you know, at the, at the end there. <laughs> and I, that part, I, yeah, I, I want to stay on what I liked. I think she took hold of this, and I think she elevated some clunky dialogue. I think that, in addition, um, I think that – I don't want to just stick with her, though. I thought that Joe and Nikki um, – and, and I recognized one of them. I think it was Joe, maybe. Was, was he Jafar in the live-action Aladdin? Yes. Okay, I was going to bring that up, too. Jake, we're on the same wavelength. Yes. Good. Uh, okay. For our fellow geek dads out there who have little kids at home, Joe is played by Jafar from the live-action Aladdin movie that Guy Ritchie absolutely butchered. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and yeah, and so I thought Joe and Nikki's, uh, I thought their chemistry was excellent. Um, I, it was, I mean, it was a corny bit of dialogue, but when he is just like monologuing about how much he loves him, and he's like, he is not my boyfriend. I, I kind of was just like, wow, that's like maybe one of the most romantic moments I've seen in a film in ages. It and really was, especially while they're being shackled in a SWAT chopper. Um, and he's delivering that. But it was it was eloquent, and he was earnest in the delivery of it to a point where you believed it 100%, and you didn't care that the dialogue was flirting with Hallmark level because he was believable in that moment. You bought yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I um, – I liked their chemistry a lot. I, I felt that Booker had weird charisma that I still cannot put my finger on. Um, I liked him more than I should, even when we found... Uh, so, spoilers. Um, if you're not interested in Spoiler having the film alert. spoiled. We're going yeah. to talk about things that happen in this movie. Hey, it's kind of fun to be able to do that again, though, to not be talking about a 30. Like, I love our old films, but I'm just saying, like, this year has derailed all of our review plans, and it's nice to be able to say spoiler alert for once. No, I think the last time we reviewed something that came out this year was Birds of Prey, and you weren't on that episode. So it's it's been a long time for you. It really has. This is this might be my first time in 2020 I've been able to throw up the spoiler alert. So (laughs) spoiler alert. There it is. Um, so when when it is revealed that Booker is the traitor, uh, I thought that that was, you know, I, it made me sad, even though it was a little bit, a little bit predictable, I thought, um, you know, not that, not that it didn't surprise me at all, but it also didn't surprise me much. Uh, even then it made me sad. Can we talk about Booker for a second? And I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to butcher his name, Matthias Shonartes. Or Shonartes. Oh, I'm working really hard not to say a lot of names here because I can read them great. But Okay, yeah. So um, he, he gave a very nuanced performance. Yeah. It, you, I'm not saying I'm going to, but you could make the case that he's the best performance in the film. Um, okay. But I, I, will, I will say this. Does he just not give off that vibe and that kind of look and raspy voice where he, he is the long lost but most talented Baldwin brother? <laughs> you know, it's funny because my wife watched this with me. Elise kept asking, um, is that a Skarsgård? Are you sure he's not a Skarsgård? And so it's funny that you made him a Baldwin. So he's been a Skarsgård and a Baldwin for me in the last 24 hours. <laughs> Every time he was on screen, he looked like 90s Stephen Baldwin, but sounded a little <laughs> bit like Alec. And I'm just like, I'm not, but except he, except he was like much more talented than any one of those guys would have been in that role. So I don't want to sell him short by painting him with the Baldwin brush. You know what I so mean? Can I say that I think that he... So, so let me, let me think how to put this right. Um, Charlize probably did the best acting job because she did so much with so little. She did the most heavy lifting. Yes. But Matthias who played Booker, I thought had the best overall performance because he probably had the best written character on it. I thought, um, I thought that, you know, Andy, there were a lot of times where I felt like there were two Andys. There was the compassionate, you know, she's been, she's been hardened, but she cares. Andy, who is so distraught that she's not making a difference in the world. And then there was the completely hardened, the world can go screw itself, Andy. And, and guilt laden. 
Yeah, and I never really saw those two characters merge into one layered character. But with Matthias, I saw this layered character the whole time that everything he did felt consistent. And it felt to me like he did love his friends, but he didn't want to be doing this anymore. And, and I, it all just really, it flowed really well for me. The performance brought it to life. And I thought that Booker was the best written character in the thing. He may have been the best written. And I'm, I'm going to go totally anecdotal here and say, I'm, I walked away from that movie with the feeling that though Charlize Theron was the lead and definitely was the lead and she had some of the most camera time and is the most talented person in that cast, I think just from a pure dialogue standpoint, she may have had the third most lines in the movie. And so that's, that's really difficult in a film that has made it very clear that they are going to make things overt with the dialogue that they have been written it is hard to balance that duality of character nuance when you're on screen an awful lot, but you're not given very much dialogue and there's only so much dark in the corner brooding you can do and add variety to. And I don't mean to minimize Charlize's performance because um, I, I will definitely go on the record as saying this movie only works for two reasons. One, if your action sequences are filmed phenomenally, which they were, and two, if you have an anchor that can be the magnetic center, the true north of the whole thing, carrying everyone in their orbit, whether they're speaking or not, and can be believable in that character as well as believable as an action hero, the number of mainstream A-list women in Hollywood that could pull that off right now is very, very short. And it has to be an A-lister in this role to help make the movie as bankable as it was since it's going to directly be on Netflix, right? So like Charlize is on a short list of people that can actually do that and deliver all of those things. So I don't want to minimize her performance. She is the anchor. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's all really well said. And that's a really good breakdown of a lot of the performances. Um, I will say the other though, thing I ride for Kiki Lane. She's fantastic. And I thought her portrayal of Nile was exactly what it needed to be. And I would dare say that maybe she stole the entire movie, but go ahead and make your point. I, and we can keep, we can keep dishing on that. I, I want to circle back around to Nile because I, I, I actually came away a little disappointed with the character, but not because of Kiki. Um, and I'll, we'll circle back around in a bit to her. Fair enough. Uh, I, I did like the action as well. Um, I thought it was good. I thought that I actually would have, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually would have enjoyed a little more of it uh, because I thought that where the movie really started to sing is when it just leaned into that kind of just sort of bombastic action that you can only get with characters who aren't afraid to die. Mm -hmm. And that, that was one of its great strengths. That's an interesting take. I didn't think about that. I thought the, there were a couple of moments in the movie that moved a touch slow, but the action sequences when they came up were done so well. Like the, the airplane throwdown between um, yeah. uh, Charlize and Kiki was just one of the better action sequences I've seen in the last year. That was an incredibly well done bit, but maybe I don't know if it comes down to the script writing or maybe it comes down to budget. This, this movie only operated on a $70 million budget, which is pretty lean. Oh, I did not know that. And that's pretty lean considering it's it's an IP-driven comic book heavy action on location type film, right? So yeah. um, it, it certainly was not made for Avengers money or, or Justice League money for, for even that point, which I think is a bigger 
salute to the work of Gina Br- Prince Bythewood, which we can get to her in a little bit. But I, I'm saying this to say I agree with you. There were a few moments of characterization with a few characters interacting that I thought they really nailed the emotional nuance. But for the most part, the high points of this movie were the incredibly well shot action sequences. No, I thought I thought that, yeah, the action... Sometimes the dialogue would start to get me into a bit of a slump and then a good action scene would come along and break me out of that slump. So I'm, I'm 100% there with you. Maybe my favorite dialogue moment in the whole movie was with um, the, the, the pharmaceutical CEO talking in that opening segment where he was making his presentation <laughs> and he just goes, big pharma. <laughs> and then everything seemed to stop and then it like panned at a whole bunch of people giving their reaction shots and everything. I was like, they totally treated that like oh, that was Pee Wee's Adventures Big Secret Word of the Day. You know, did you recognize who that kid is? No, I didn't. That's Dudley Dursley. That's Harry Potter's evil cousin. Oh, well, um, I haven't seen the Harry Potter movies. There it is. I was wondering, I, I thought you might be too cool to have seen those. <laughs> I, well, here's the deal. Okay, I'm about to alienate like the last bastion of our geek fans here. I never read the books growing up and never got into it. I tried reading one back when I was in like middle school and pretended to hate books and stuff like that. So I just didn't really get into it because it just seemed like the thing to do. And then um, when the movies came out, I wasn't that interested because I wasn't familiar with the IP at all. And then there was one time when I was working at the movie theater that I actually got paid to watch one of them because we, that was back when we actually had movies on film and we had to splice film together to make it work. And anytime we did that, we'd have to watch it through once to make sure that all the transitions were smooth. Um, those were the days people. Anyway, I, I watched one once and I fell asleep while watching it. It was like the goblet of, it was the, the one where Harry's name comes out of like that goblet thing and he has to go compete in the games even though yeah you had it it's the goblet of fire goblet of fire yeah Yeah. i've seen like the first half of that and i slept through a big chunk of it (laughs) so so all right let me grab a couple things there first of all i love and i genuinely love this not in a tongue-in-cheek way that you spliced film together were a part of that process on any level um (laughs) like that's a piece of history man um and then also, I love that it was your job to make sure it transitioned correctly and you fell asleep. So a bunch of people could have seen Harry one moment is fleeing the dragon and next thing, why the heck is Voldemort alive? Mm. And, and no one would know because the, the, te- the screener guy fell asleep. <laughs> okay, I will, I will come clean and say I was not the only one in the theater watching oh, the okay, review of okay. it. So I had my bases covered. <laughs> Um, and I and I and I didn't get to perfect the film splicing. There was someone else that did that, but I did get to get to watch it and get to be a part of the process. I wasn't quite old enough and trusted enough to actually do it myself. But man, it was really cool. And I got to a big part of my job was I did get to um, actually string the film up in the old school projections. Oh, and that that's was so cool. That was a fun fun thing to do. That's amazing. That's so cool. No, I, well, so I'll bring back everybody. I love Harry Potter. I've, I've read all the books like four times. I'm reading them to my kids right That's now. A you couple you of and them. everybody else not named me are in the same boat. Like you don't yeah, need to- absolutely. I, you're right. I'm not special for liking Harry Potter. I, uh, I will say this is my, uh, my moment when people ask, do you really read that fast? This is the story I always tell is when the last book came out, I was living by myself for the summer because everyone I thought was going to stay in town with me left and so I went and got that book 
locked the door to my apartment around 7 a.m. and then just sat and read it that day. And like, that was my day. And I read book seven cover to cover with no interruptions, but for the bathroom. That's amazing. That like, was a good day, man. I was going to say that's for any book fan. That would be a, that would be a phenomenal day. You don't get days like that in your thirties. You get them in your, if you're wise or lucky, you can catch one or two of them in your twenties, but you don't get days like that in your thirties. No, you don't because then you have a partner and kids and jobs and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. everything in your body starts to break and you're just like, ah, oh, man, I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Life is better in my thirties than it was in my twenties, but I still miss those days. I, I do miss being able to do that. <laughs> All right. So is the old guard basically just Highlander meets the Expendables? Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, okay. Podcast over. Mitch nailed it. <laughs> I can't believe that never occurred to me. Crap. Yes. That's what it is. There can be only one except for when there's more than <laughs> there one. There can be only four or five of us. And we're going to send them to the slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, that's exactly what this film is. No, that's and that's a very gross exaggeration. And I don't want to say that to, to sell the movie short because we that's advocate- a hell of an elevator pitch, man. <laughs> we we but we advocate all the time about wanting to be advocates for healthy fandom, right? And and I will say this movie was much more entertaining than it wasn't, and I would probably give it like a six and a half, seven out of ten. And and I would I would watch it again. Um so I, I don't want to make that comparison make it seem like i'm throwing this movie to the same side of the ocean as you know like ant-man and the wasp but um i just dug myself a hole in there because ant-man and the wasp is fine but you know what i mean but <laughs> no nope, i get it at the same time though I, I just about halfway through the movie i was like i'm watching highlander with sylvester stallone getting the gang together like that's that's what i'm watching and and i'm not unhappy about it but that's what i watched right that's awesome yeah that's what you watched. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I will say this. I kind of alluded to this earlier. One thing that separates this flick from others like it is the raw truth and the heaviness of the immortals themselves. The emotion, the loss, the guilt that they carry. They, they're really trying to bring the stakes and the emotional buy-in to make this movie... I don't want to say the word believable because that's the wrong word to say when you're watching a comic book movie about immortals, but to make this movie um, feel more plausible or actual and feel like it's carrying some sort of an emotional carrot beyond just you're going to be entertained. And for that, I can applaud it because it would have been really easy to just let this be a 90s style action movie, right? And, and they really wanted these characters to have layers, to have backstories that made sense of like the weight of everything they were carrying from all the time that they were alive. That's something that you don't necessarily have to explore to still have a successful action movie, but you do have to explore that and have to try to craft performances that are believable enough that when we go into movie two and probably movie three, that we're willing to buy into that and travel with that with the same level of buy-in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I would say like those were probably the strongest points, even though a lot of those moments are 
are filled with less than stellar dialogue. But I mean, it would have been really easy to just say like, we're immortal mercenaries and we're going to go blow stuff up. But we spent just as much time unpacking history and loss and the guilt that you carry with it and what it looks like to have a life that's different than you imagined and, and all of the ramifications that come with that. We really didn't have to spend all of our time in those moments in order to have a quote unquote successful action movie. But um, Gina Prince Bythewood, treasures story enough and i'm assuming the source material was weighty enough that they could really you know kind of go down that pathway and change it up a little i think that's a good observation let's let's go ahead and pick apart a couple of things jake so um you give me a couple of things that maybe you thought could have been improved upon i i think that i think that the film really wants to be I think it really wants to be all the things that we've been talking about that, that more mature vert take on like a 90s style action thing, right? Like without sacrificing the action, buying into the more mature characterization that we're getting used to with these kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Kind of had a wanted feel. Did you ever see that yeah. with James McAvoy and Angelina Jolie? I did. Yeah. Very much based on a, gra- on a graphic novel as well. Very much a, a formulaic type of action movie, but still desperate to say something. Sometimes it, su- it succeeded and sometimes it just didn't. I think that's a really apt comparison because the, I think that the movie doesn't fail across the board, obviously, because, you know, we've already talked about Booker and Joe and Nikki, and there's a lot of good, a lot of good stuff going on in those supporting characters. But I think that, I don't think that it succeeds as often as it needs to. And I think that for starters, um, Merrick is a pretty, pretty one note villain. Um, he's all but twirling that mustache. And I know that that's it the was point. was low-hanging when... fruit to just say, Big Pharma. And then well, that's just have it. a young CEO yeah. be like, I need, I need what I need. Like, you get the feeling that if they could have figured out the legality of it, they'd have just spliced in old Martin Shkreli clips. <laughs> and that's, it feels like that's what they were going for here, is just like, what's the most evil real person we can find that's not going to upset anybody? And let's put that person up there. And, and I think that it, it, like there's a place for that sort of thing. But also, I, I guess I feel like he never really, he doesn't become fun evil, you know? Like he's never that villain. He's not the Joker, you know, where it's just like, now we don't know what his motivation is. We're never going to know. Is just having so much fun being such a terrible person that it becomes iconic. And And there wasn't anything really special about his character either. Yeah. Like it it was one note, and the one note that he was playing wasn't that interesting either. Yes. Yeah. I think exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I also thought that this is not Kiki Lane's fault. Niall is is so successful at being a blank slate entry point character that I, she kind of gets swallowed up by all of these, the hundreds of years of history, literally in the room around her at all times, where when Niall is on her own, I can get invested in her. But when she's standing in a room with Andy, Joe, Nikki, Booker, I really couldn't bring myself to get that invested in her journey as the new immortal. 
because I just wanted so much to live in with these other ones. Well, and she's the, she's the totem when she's with the rest of the immortal, she's the totem for the audience, right? She's the, yeah. she's the narrative device that allows for us to learn all of the pieces of information we need to have to get the context, but they can deliver it in a way that's quote unquote, good storytelling, right? She asks the questions that we want to ask. And so that, that does cripple her characterization a little bit, but, I don't know. Maybe I just, maybe I just, I, I loved her in If Beale Street Could Talk. I think Kiki Lane is a phenomenal actress and I thought she pulled off the character as beautifully as she possibly could. Oh and yeah. I think she knows how to fill the screen or do, do more with less. Like she, she just is so expressive with her face, but I can see where you're coming from. The concept when she's, when she's in with the group and her, her only heavy lifting is to provide information for the audience. Then like that does become a little crippling to her character. Well, and, and so, and that kind of leads me around to where I thought the film suffered the most if i'm going to be truly critical and i'm I'm really going to say what was the thing that i thought held it back the most to me it's that it felt structured like volume one trade paperback out of seven and that works for a comic book series to take a couple of arcs and merge them into one story that ends with the, but, but the thing is, those of us who are comic fans, we're aware that those first, you know, I'm trying to think like, I, I just read, what did I just read a couple of weeks ago? I read the first two collections of Mind Management by Matt Kent, and God help me, I cannot remember the artist's name, and I'm so sorry. Um, and and I, I remember reflecting on, after you finish book two, you realize like book one was barely even setting the table for this thing and how big and expansive its world gets and how much, you know, the, that plot device character that is so essential to this kind of storytelling becomes a true character and not just a plot device once we're all settled in. So my guess is, has it, having never read The Old Guard, my guess is that Niall is probably a super fascinating character in the inevitable sequel that is coming. But the problem is that when she's only in that introductory chapter, it does reduce the character to just a plot device. And then you see things like Quinn um, is, I mean, Quinn, it was being telegraphed. This is our next villain. Oh, beyond a doubt. You knew that she was going to be coming back. Yeah. But I also knew like, there's no way they're squeezing her into this film other than that teaser that really fits a comic book pacing. And so to me, a lot of it comes back to that word pacing. I thought that a lot of times, you know, there were moments that I thought that would be the final panel of issue three right there. Uh, this would be a great cliffhanger for issue five, but it didn't flow like a film. And one thing we've talked a lot about on here is that where, where the watching comics concept really starts to sing is when somebody takes one one a story that exists in one medium and translates it rather than just copies it and makes it work in that new medium. And I don't know that this always successfully translated. Sometimes it felt like it was just copying what was on the page. Yeah. And I think that's the heart of the issue. What you, what you've mentioned right there is right on the money. And and I think this is the only thing that I would say is critical about Gina Prince-Bythewood's um, capturing of this film is that 
there were multiple times in this movie where I looked at the shots that were being put on the screen and I went, they're going comic book with that. There are other yeah. times with the movie where I was like, they're steering away intentionally from the comic book look. And then the same thing with the dialogue and the pacing and the tone, like you couldn't tell if the movie was self-aware or not. And um, there's time and place for both. But when you can't tell, then I, I feel like, especially in the comic book arena, that may be a drawback. And then two is it really looked like it was a movie that was struggling, whether it wanted to be more movie or more homage to comic book. And what, what you really need to do to have a cohesive tone through something like that is to make the choice and then just make that choice consistent all the way throughout. If you're going to go full-fledged comic book with it, then make it look like it, do it, frame it that way, and do it. If you, if you want to make a thriller action movie that's been inspired by a comic book movie, then do that. You know, shoot it like a Steven Soderbergh or a Brad Bird and do an art house type of high budget movie, right? Um, and this one, I really think struggled to find its footing in that particular characteristic. And so it's tough to trust the momentum to guide you through a consistent tone at that point. I, I think that's, I think you're right on with that. And it's like, to me, so like so many things in life, it's like Ron Swanson said, why or never half-ass two things when you could whole-ass one thing. Mm, the mustache was right. God, I'm ashamed of how many times I've quoted that to my employees. <laughs> so there's that. Um, <laughs> so this is the big question that um, I think the old guard is, is sitting at right now. I mean, on the surface, it is a top-notch action movie with great performances and a really solid cast, right? And so that that makes this movie better than a lot already. But Clearly, this movie is beyond providing an entertainment experience. This movie is just as much about laying the track for movie number two. It's, it's obvious. It's heavy-handed. Yeah. It's intended to do that, right? That's not necessarily a negative thing, but the way we talk about this movie is ultimately going to be dictated by how good or how bad is the second movie, right? Or it's going to be the same way we think about the amazing Spider-Man movies. As much as some people may like them or not like them. We can't change the fact that the drawbacks of the second movie were found in the fact that there was supposed to be a third movie that got the plug pulled out of it at the very last minute. So they put too much in the second movie, right? Like the, the what was supposed to be a whole dictates the way we look at the single parcels. And so the old guard, all we can do right now is look at it in a vacuum and say, man, it, it really struggled with tone, but I liked the movie a lot anyway. I don't know if the second movie is mind blowing, then are we going to look at the first one and say like, Oh my gosh, what a perfect setup. Are we going to think of it as like a Batman begins type of thing? Or if the second chapter is going to be more of the same, are, are we still going to say it's slightly better than meh? Like, I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? I think that, so let's, uh, I haven't even looked for it, but I'm assuming that a sequel has either been, given the green light or it will be in the next week or two. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere, but I've got the Wikipedia page, which is always trustworthy open up <laughs> here. And I will see if there's anything on that as well while you talk. Sure. And so like, I, I mean, looking at the, uh, the inevitable sequel that's coming, I, I'm going to sit down and watch it with the expectation that, uh, that now that they have established their world, they have established, Copley's role in all this, which by the way, 
How have we gone this far and not mentioned Chiwetel Ejiofor's in this thing? Academy Award nominee, Chidio, nominee Chidiwell Ejiofor. Yeah. Um, I kept staring at him. I'm like, he's really good. How'd they afford two famous people? You know, and so, um, no, I, um, I, I think that I'm totally going to sit down and watch it because obviously there's a story they want to tell about Quinn and Andy uh, and how that's going to play into Booker and into Niles coming of age, so to speak, as an immortal. Um, and I'm, I think that might be the much more interesting story than the battle against this generic big pharma character. Yeah. 100%. It's basically if the movie is successful, there will be discussions of a sequel. The The movie's performing incredibly well, there's going to be. So I, I, yeah. I'm confident we'll be getting another one. Yeah. Is this the place to talk about how do we, like, how much do we trust or distrust the Netflix metrics? Well, I mean, I don't know. Netflix keeps their metrics pretty close to the chest. So, yeah. I mean, and because they they mostly don't report metrics, I have a feeling that when they do report successful metrics, they're probably closer to true than not. Oh, that's a good call. See, I guess I always look at it like, right, but all I know is that you're saying it's like number three on your platform, but how does that rank, you know? Every once, yeah, I like that, that is totally valid, but... um every once in a while they'll release numbers on how something is performing. Like they did that with the Irishman. Cause that was a big Oscar contender for them. Oh, um, sure. They'll release some actual performance metrics beyond just, this is in the top 10 in your network. Um, and I believe I could be butchering this. I need to do a little bit more research. I believe it is. Um, you have to watch it. It has to be streaming for 30 minutes or more, 20 minutes or more, something like that in order for it to count against their, to count in favor oh, so okay, that was my next question. I'm glad you addressed that. Yeah, it, there's some sort of cutoff like that. So when they say like this movie received this many plays and downloads over the first week it was live, that that's really the threshold that they're talking about. Okay, that makes sense. But anyway, all that to say is like, I mean, granted, did the old guard get a good boost from the pandemic? Absolutely. I would it have performed well anyway on the platform? Probably if it would have dropped at the same time in the middle of the summer, a normal summer when the cinema is being overrun, when the movie theaters are being overrun with a whole bunch of other IP stuff and big summer blockbusters and everything like that, would the old guard be the number one performing movie on Netflix for an entire week? I don't know. Sure. Okay. Now that makes sense. That's, that's a nickel's worth of opinion there. So, all right. So I, I do want to say one thing, I guess, two things I had written down that I thought were interesting to note. Number one is there are an awful lot of crooked SWAT guys in that pharmaceutical office, like a lot. Yeah. There were so many dudes with guns and armor in that pharmaceutical building. Like <laughs> was there even really real science being done outside of that one lab with that one scientist in that massive building? Where do they stash all those SWAT people? I, Okay, I'm, I'm about to get real weird on this one, but is it weird that I didn't even question, like, sure, pharmaceutical companies have that many people with weapons? Well, they had, right. Well, they had that throwaway line where, like, well, everybody's got their own personal security escort now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Way to cover your bases there, Hollywood. Um, 
I know, but it's just like during that final throwdown after they get out of spoiler alert, they break out of the um, the lab where they're strapped to the the beds and they're having their flesh, ch- you know, chopped off for um, testing, and, and they do the big final standoff. It's like doesn't matter what what um, floor they're on, what hallway they're going down, what corner they turn around, and everything like that. It was like the stormtroopers on the Death Star. Everywhere they turned, there was five thousand of them. <laughs> That's true. And I thought, okay, I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, at what point is too much too much? I don't know. But the fight sequences were great. So am I really complaining? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's well said, though. <laughs> but I do want to say, Gina Prince-Bythewood, she's a great filmmaker. She, she stands for representation. She's a, a woman of color getting a chance to make movies in Hollywood, which is not as common of a thing as it should be. And she gave us great gems like love and basketball and the secret life of bees. Like she, she knows what she's doing. And I will say she is just one of the best at needle drops in movies. The her, this was totally on brand for her. The use of soundtrack and movie or movie music in, in this flick was second to none, perfectly timed, the right selections to fuel the right moments. I just, I love when she does her needle drops. I got to salute my cap to that because I thought that was very well done in this movie. Yeah, I, you know, and that's the thing, like for the criticism that I can lob at this, I I do want to say that I really think that for me, a lot of my gripes come down to writing. And I thought that the thing was very well acted and well directed. Um, I, I think she did a phenomenal job. Yeah, I'm right there with you. 100%. 100%. So, Jake, give this, like, a grade. Where, what would you grade the old guard movie? So, a five feels punitive, and I don't want to be that, so let's go six. Six, fair enough. I give it, like, a good solid six and a half. Yeah. It, with, with the intent to rewatch somewhere along the line. And Right on. I can respect that. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. So, there it is. Netflix is the old guard. Definitely give it a watch. And definitely hit us up and let us know what you think, listeners, because what good is the internet for if not telling us how wrong we were, right? And Or telling us how right we were if you really want to. I mean, I guess we wouldn't say no to that either. So uh, thanks so much for jumping on board, everybody. Uh, be sure to hit us up on Twitter. We are at WatchComicsPod. That's comics with an X, at WatchComicsPod. Let us know what you thought of The Old Guard. Do you think our six, six and a half rating out of 10 is good enough for this movie? What did you think of Gina Prince-Bythewood's perf- uh, performance as the director? And what did you think of the cast? And what were some of your favorite moments hit us up because we definitely want to hear it um and of course shout out to the geek dad podcast network we love that place great place to go home if you are listening to this podcast we greatly appreciate it and we would even appreciate it more if you would take a couple minutes and give us some stars and some words a rate and review on whatever pod platform you're finding this on it will uh, let us know that you are enjoying it which is nice it'll also help others find us along the way which might be kind of cool and we promise to give you a lifetime supply of free high fives what's not to love anyway we will be coming at you next week with some more awesome stuff We'll talk to you then. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.